Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Amber Empire. Triple Play Fantasy's Basketball Show with Doc, Coach, and Brass Dadamas starts now. We welcome in a man who is a professional, and not just in basketball, but in life, as he's active on LinkedIn. That's where we first messaged. This man has been a champion at many levels, the NCAA, the ABL, and NBL. The man that controls the paint like he's an artist. You better not get him confused with the director. He has a simple job. He throws an orange hoop, an orange ball into an orange hoop. The man who likes to throw parties. What kind you ask? Block parties. <laughs> the man who got a recent fresh cut. We welcome in Josh Boone. What is going on, my man? What's what's going on? You you forgot uh Bahrain. Bahrain, yeah. As well, but yep. You know, I'll, I'll let that one slide for right now. Three three times over there in Bahrain, right? Yeah, yeah. We we uh, we won basically everything. My my first time over there, yeah. Absolutely. Um, didn't do so well my second time over there, but first time over there was pretty good, yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, Josh, we appreciate you joining us. As we could, you know, as you can tell, perfection is what I strive for, but not always achieve. But <laughs> how's everything going? How's your summer been? Oh, it's been good. It's been good. I um, I actually I had a little minor knee surgery a couple of months ago. Uh, I've been I had been playing with um, some torn meniscus, a couple other little things in one of my knees for a while, and uh, finally just decided it was kind of time to get it taken care of. I, you know, most guys play with injuries. I I've played with injuries my whole career, but this was kind of one of those things that it just made sense. I had a little bit of time, and it was gonna really benefit me to get it taken care of. So. Had it done, been recovered, um, been back to working out on the court, and now I'm just getting ready to uh, head out here sometime in the next couple of weeks. All right, that's what I love to hear. And talking about the court, we're going to start with your career. We're going to talk about the early days. And, Josh, probably the only thing that we have in common is we're both from Maryland and we're both handsome. That's it. <laughs> but growing up in a similar area, I knew you were a high school standout at South Carroll. But I had no idea how good you were. In high school, you averaged 20 points, 14 and a half rebounds, and seven blocks per game. I don't think I've blocked seven shots in my career. I'm 5'5". Five, five. You're senior. Yeah, probably not. There. <laughs> hey, hey, I blocked, I blocked somebody that was 6'3 one time. That's my claim to fame. I would never block you, though. Um, probably not, no. <laughs> but your senior season, you took the team to the regional semifinals, only their second appearance there. And after high school, you'd go to West Nottingham Academy where your stats would be even better, yeah. averaging 28 points per game, 16 rebounds, and 9.7 blocks. Yeah. State, state semis, man. State semifinals. Come on. State semis. Hey, you state, keep, yeah. state semis versus regional semis, very, very different. Very, very, very different. Very different. Absolutely. Uh, man, you, and, hey, man, and, you, you, you keep me on my yeah, toes. We, I love it. Yeah, we, we should have um, – you know, we we had a situation where my senior year in high school, we had a point guard by the name of Marshall Strickland. Marshall Strickland, yeah. Big time, big time recruit coming out of Maryland. Played at DeMatha um, before he transferred to us. And the problem was that in his eighth grade year, he played like four or five games with the varsity team at prep school. And our county decided to count that as a full season of eligibility. So about three or four games into our senior year, they said, nah, he's not allowed to play anymore. So they banned him from playing. We filed injunctions. It wow. didn't matter. So we had a, a, a four-star, five-star recruit um, that couldn't even play. You know, I think he, he averaged 
close to 30 points a game in his junior year when he was with us. So, you know, with, with him, the odds of us winning that state championship were very, very high. You know, without him, we still made it to the sem- to the semis. So, you know, who, who can who can only say what happened if we would have had him? But, but yeah. That's crazy. That has to be a rival school, like, trying well, that, you to know, get him it was, it was there, It's always there's, something. There's three or four schools in the county, and my assumption is they kind of banded together and said, you know, we can't let this happen, which is kind of funny because at the end of the day, we still won the county anyway. Like, we're yeah. still by far the best team in the county. I don't think we lost to any of the county teams that year, regardless of whether we had Marshall or not. But, you know, clearly that was something that they didn't want to have happen was to let him play. Which sucks so because, you know, you're, you're talking about a high school kid. You're talking about, you know, it's, it's not like you're, you know, talking about a, a professional or whatever. You're talking about a kid that just wants to go out there and play. And you're not going to allow him to play because he played a couple of games when he was in eighth grade. So he would yeah. go on to, to Indiana and play and ha- have himself a good career. But what was it like at school? Was he th- was he still there? Was he still like around the team? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was goodness. he was he was still there. You know, he was he was still around this as much as possible. He just wasn't allowed to play. You know, oh, so he, he'd crazy. still be at the games and whatever. Yeah, but well, Josh, what, what can you do? Well, Josh, we'll, we'll have this in the Marshall Strickland interview. This is the Josh Boone interview, and we're <laughs> transition back to you now. I know you thought that. Connecticut would give you the best chance to make it to the NBA. But what I think is interesting is Emeka Okafor's presence solidified your decision. And I think a lot of people probably go to college wanting to be the man, especially considering the stats that you put up. But I think it's really admirable that you wanted to learn from him. And I know that James wanted to ask about kind of your process of deciding where to go. So I, I remember going to South Carolina High School in, in School, Maryland. I, I went to Richard Montgomery High School, and we had the preseason tournament with Middleton, and it, we did a little round robin. Everybody would play like eight, nine quarters. But I used to see – I saw your jersey on the wall that was eye-opening at a player at, in, in kind of – almost in the middle of nowhere. It's sort of – I mean, it's close to Baltimore. It's close to D.C., but it's it's still out there a little bit that this person is, is about to be a big player at UConn. I was wondering if – did anyone else have a chance at you – and how was that recruiting process? So yeah, I had um, I had several schools. I had a grouping of about six or seven schools at the end of the recruiting process. You know, after my senior year at high at, at South Carroll, I didn't really have too many of the big name programs. And any of the big name programs that I had at the time either wanted me to redshirt or to do a prep year. Um, you know, physically, my body just wasn't quite ready. You know, I, I was I was super super skinny in high school, you know, I couldn't have weighed more than 210 pounds, something like that, but I was six, eight. So I needed to put on weight and prep school seemed like the better option to me. Um, the kind of, you know, when it, when it started, there were a few schools that came in very early. Rutgers came in very early. St. Joe's who at the time was a you know top 10 program in the country. Um, they came in very early as well. Um, but other than that, it was really like low to mid-major schools that were really trying to get me at that point. Um, by the end of the process, uh, my final grouping was UConn, uh, Kansas, when Roy Williams was still there, uh, Virginia, Rutgers, St. Joe's, Georgetown. I don't think I'm missing anybody there. You know, there were other schools that, that popped up here and there, but those were really you know, the final ones, North Carolina as well. I'm sorry, North Carolina came in very late. Um, but ultimately, my, my decision came down to UConn or Kansas. Um, I remember when I was at prep school, uh, Roy Williams came to visit me. He came along with one of his, his assistant coaches. And they came to watch the practice, and then they, um, they spoke to us afterwards. So we went in the, into uh, my coach's office, and we all sat down around this table. And Roy had a stack of papers in his hands, and he puts it in the middle of the table. And he says, this is, the first, this is the first thing he says. He says, look, these are the scholarship papers right here. You don't have to sign them now, but they're here if you want them. And then for about the next hour or so, Roy Williams himself proceeded to try and sell the University of Kansas to me. And I'll be damned if by the end of that, I didn't want to sign those papers. I did, <laughs> but I was very, very close to doing it. Um, oh, man. But, you know, it was, it, was, it was a choice between those two. And ultimately, like you said, a lot of it, came down to a Mecca. Um, you know, UConn is, is known for putting, you know, UConn is really called Wing U. It's, it's really referred to as yeah. Wing U because most of the 
pro players that have come out of UConn right. up until the last 10 to 15 years were really wings. You know, you had Karan, you had Ray Allen, you had those guys. Um, but the fact that I would get to learn from who was, prob- you know, the, the guy who was probably the best college basketball player in the country at that time, that was kind of invaluable to me. You know, I, I didn't go there expecting to start alongside of him like I did. I went there expecting to back him up and come yeah. off the bench, you know, and it just so happened that our skill sets really complemented each other very well. And thus I was put into the starting role and we were able to bring, you know, the scoring punch from Charlie off the bench, as well as the defensive presence from Hill off the bench as well. Yeah. I mean, you, like you talked about, you made your impact right away. You started 37 out of 38 games. You averaged 5.9 points, 5.8 rebounds, 1.7 blocks, 55% from the field. And, you know, the, the chemistry just gelled very well your first year, obviously hit the ultimate goal, winning the national championship. And I know James kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, you, I mean, starting as a freshman, winning the national championship on one of the best college teams that I can remember, uh, nine deep, six future first round NBA picks, including Emeka Okafor, we just said, with, went number one, Ben Gordon, three, Charlie Van- Villanueva, seven, Hilton Armstrong, 11. And then your roommate, Marcus Williams went 22 right before you went 23 to the Nets. Uh, talk to me how good this team was. The people, they need to know. I I still say that there, there can't be more than 10 or so teams in college basketball history that would have been better than this team. You know, we were, we were really, really good. Um, the fact that we went to the national championship game and we were up by, I think, 20 or very close to it at halftime against a very good Georgia Tech team with several pros on that team as well um, says all you need to know. We, you know we, we played a Duke team in the semifinals that had just as many NBA players as we did, and we played them for 16 minutes without the best player in the country because he got into foul trouble in the first half. Coach Calhoun has a rule. He's always had a rule. If you get two fouls in the first half, you will sit down for the entire first half. It doesn't matter what the situation. It doesn't matter what the player. And that was demonstrated by the fact that Emeka Okafor got two fouls in the national semifinal game. The best player in in all of college basketball got two fouls in the first four minutes of the game, and he sat down for the entire rest of the half. Like I said, it does not matter. Um, so the fact that we were able to do that just says in itself how good we were. Um, and and I was yeah. going to say he ba- he bounced back and he helped close out that game. But, uh, I mean, you had a, a phenomenal tip offensive rebound that you hit to him with 25 seconds left that put your team up. I mean, you end up with 14 rebounds. Um, the, yeah, the final wasn't as, as close, but it, it almost seemed like that you know, that game against the one-seeded Duke where you were playing against Luau Deng and J.J. Redick and those well, those boys end up being, you know, the tournament, exactly what a kid's dream of. And in one play makes a difference, and you had a hand in that. Uh, I, guess, I guess that's a rebound assist in a way. Yeah, yeah, that would be a hockey assist, I guess, is what they might call it. Um, you know, it, when, when, you, when you get to that level, when it's, when it's a game where there are two teams that are so closely matched – and and so good it often comes down to those little things like that you know those whether it's whether it's that tip whether it's um a couple of minutes before that um me diving on a loose ball in front of the duke bench and getting a timeout call to keep possession like it's 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 little plays like that that make the difference and and allowed us to come back in the game that we were down at the end of the game you know we were down seven with i think three minutes or so left in that game and you don't come back against Duke in a situation like that, let alone in the final four. So, you know, we, we made all of the little plays in the last couple of minutes of those games. And, and ultimately that's the only, that's the reason we won. Yeah. And I mean, coming out on top as a freshman, you'd put up better stats your sophomore year. You'd average 12.4 points per game, 8.4 rebounds in the most three blocks. Similar stats your junior year, and you were on the team that played George Mason in the Elite Eight. And I want to ask you about that game. Them being the 11th seed in the region, UConn, you guys were the number one seed. Obviously, you guys are huge favorites. But one of the things that also stood out to me was they had no player that was taller than 6'7". Looking back, 
what was kind of the mentality? Did you guys think that it was going to be a cakewalk? What do you think you could have done differently? Because at that time, I feel like we hadn't really seen a Cinderella run like that in recent memory. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's first not forget that the number one overall seed in the tournament had to play an Elite Eight game against a team that was playing 10 minutes from their uh, campus. So it was basically a home game for them. Um, but, you know, what, I guess they, they were playing great basketball at the time. They really were. You know, you really could not take anything away from them. Um, they were playing phenomenal basketball. They were a well-oiled machine. They were playing very well as a team. Um, they had one or two guys that were, you know, their primary scorers, but pretty much everybody contributed for them. And, you know, for us, I guess the problem was that, you know, A, we had, I think we had five or six guys on that team that knew we were going to the NBA after that year. So I think some of our focus was sort of on that and not necessarily on that game. And I think part of the focus was also on the fact that um, the team that won that game was going to go to the Final Four and play against that Florida team that had Al Horford, Joe Kim Noah, Corey Noah, Brewer. You know, they were Torian they were Green. Loaded. Yeah, they, they, went back they, were, back. They, they were absolutely loaded. So, you know, I think some of us were probably looking at that as, you know, that's the matchup. Like, that's, that's, where, we, that's yeah. where we're going. And regardless of whether you overlook a team or, or whether you may take a team lightly, like you can't take away from the fact that they played a great game. You know, they really did. They, they were able to beat a team with six NBA players on it, seven NBA players on it, whatever we had um, in an elite eight game. Like you, it, it doesn't get much bigger than that. It really doesn't. You know, you? I, obviously we, we should have been more focused. We should have been more prepared. We we should have probably gone inside a little bit more than we did in that game, I think, because we did have the height advantage. But, you know, there's there's a lot of should haves. But ultimately, what matters is the end result, and we lost. <laughs> I, I like how you word that. It's because it was it was so close. Like, Denim, Denim Brown, it, I mean, you were right next to him watching him shoot. And, I mean, it looked like it was it was going down. Did you – was there any – thought that you you thought that hey this could this could win us the game as it, it looked like a, a great look at the buzzer yeah yeah absolutely you always you always think that you always think that your teammates are going to make those shots and and like you said it looked good but <laughs> unfortunately it didn't fall and you know we we ended up going into that locker room very very disappointed um you know i was i was extremely disappointed after that one i, I don't think i've ever lost a game that I was more, you know, sad and disappointed after than that than that game. Um, Did you get in foul trouble early? Um, I know, I know, Jeff Adrian had had a really good game off the bench, but you know, you know what? I honestly don't remember. I don't remember if I did or not. There were there were times in my junior year um, where I wasn't getting quite as much playing time as I had been my sophomore year um, for for various reasons that we don't have to go into. Um, but, uh, maybe, maybe I have foul trouble. I honestly don't remember. I really don't. So Josh, I want to ask you, because obviously you're part of, you were an integral part of the team's success. I mean, obviously you win it all in 2004. However, you were very unselfish. You never averaged more than eight shots per game in any season in college. And you did a lot of the quote unquote dirty work, you know, the rebounding, the blocking, you know, all the way to win the Eastern or the big East defensive player of the year. Looking back, do you wish that you were a little bit more selfish in college? Nah, nah. Look where I look where it got me. You know, okay. I, I'm 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 proof that you don't need to score 20 points a game to have a successful basketball career. You know, that's that's just a fact. You know, if you if you if you look at other sports, you know, take take for instance a sport like football. You know, you've got offensive linemen that have had incredible careers have made millions and millions of dollars and they've never caught a pass in their life they've never run a yard in their life they've never made a tackle in their life but they do the things that are necessary for teams to win and i think regardless of the sport there are always those players that have to do that and i've just kind of always been one of those guys you know i've always been capable of producing in terms of numbers producing much more than i have but on you know particular teams there are some times where i just don't need to do that and for the team's benefit, 
it is better for me to not be selfish and to not try and shoot the ball every time I get it. That's a true team player. And, you know, I know that you believed if you had left after your freshman year, you would have easily been a lottery pick. Okafor and Gordon left. You were starting over Charlie Villanueva. This was the year before Rudy Gay, as well as Marcus Williams and Hilton Armstrong being parts of the rotation. I know you had thoughts about winning another national championship, but was there a re- another reason why you didn't go pro? Um, after my sophomore year? After your freshman or sophomore year. year. I, I know that well, you thought so, that your draft stock slipped a little bit. Yeah, I would have I would have been a lottery pick after my freshman or my sophomore year. I would have been, you know, probably mid-lottery after my freshman year, and I would have been late lottery after my sophomore year. I, I have no doubt about that. Um, I didn't leave after my freshman year because I wasn't ready. Uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, I just wasn't I wasn't there yet. Uh, after my sophomore year, I was ready. But the entire reason I went back was because I wanted to try and win another championship. You know, we as as a group, you know, we had a we had that core group that kind of, you know, came in around the same time as I did. And then, you know, with the addition of uh, of Rudy as well. And all of us looked at it and say, hey, you know, let's let's give this thing one more try. And, and let's see what we can do this year. So that was that was really the main reason why I and I think several other guys ended up coming back. You know, because I think you, I think I think myself, you, Rudy, or Marcus all could have left after that year as well. But we all wanted to try and get one more crack at it. I think, and I think I know you were ta- you talked about it earlier, but I think you were the matchup that was made for Florida. And all those guys came back. I mean, you came back. Y'all were the number two overall team going into that tournament so i mean i can imagine you were the number one we were the number one we were the number that's 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 what i'm saying we were the number one overall seed in the tournament we played a road game in the elite eight (laughs) so i don't i don't want to dwell on the what ifs because look your time was stellar you ranked fifth in field goal percentage fifth in block shots and fifth in blocks per game during your time there the team was 85 and 18 with two big east conference championships a Big East tournament title, three NCAA appearances, including that 2004 national championship. I get all those stats right, right? And and one lost game in Gamble. So we, okay. have, we have we have two arenas. We have um, the on-campus arena, which is Gamble Pavilion, and we have uh, the Pacific Center in Hartford that we're playing as well. And in my three years there, we lost one game in Gamble on campus, and that was wow. the first ever ESPN college game day against Pittsburgh. Oh. First, first, first one they ever did, and it was the only game, game we ever lost in Gamble. Pittsburgh beat us. I think it was like seventy-seven, sixty-seven. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, because we, we were, we were really damn good in Gamble. Like as as good as we were, just kind of overall in Gamble, we didn't lose. You know, my freshman year, we played an Oklahoma team, and we were both top five in the country at that point. And during that game, we were up by forty against them. That's how good we were in camp. And Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh came in there and kicked our asses on college games. Jeez. Well, Josh, I mean, look, you lived the dream that every kid wishes when you were selected 23rd overall by the Nets right after Marcus Williams. What did you drink that night? Oh, I don't drink, man. You don't drink? I, no, I don't drink. That's awesome. I don't drink. No, I was I, – I actually – so I didn't go to the draft. Um, I had decided that – if I wasn't going to be a, uh, a lottery pick and I wasn't definitely going to, you know, get up on stage and get to shake David Stern's hand, I wasn't going to go. So I just decided to stay home. You know, I had a few of my closest friends and family at the at the house because, um, you know, we going into draft night, we didn't know where I was going. You know, it, it was kind of funny because basically every major news publication in New York was saying that I had a guarantee from the Knicks at 20, which was not the case at all. I hadn't even I hadn't even talked to this. I had worked out for them one time, but I had not spoken to them at all. So I don't know where they got this information from or what, but apparently everybody believed it because I remember watching the draft when that number twenty pick came up, and the Knicks took Ronaldo Baltman instead of me. I I remember listening. I heard the um, the reaction in the crowd at MSG, and you could tell people were like confused. Because, you know, playing at UConn, everybody knows who you are in New York because the New York media covers UConn. So I think people had read all that stuff and were really expecting it to be me. And then all of a sudden it wasn't me. So you got, you know, this kind of 
you know, confused, like, wait, what type of reaction, I think, from the crowd, which was, which was pretty interesting for me to see. I mean, look, even in the summer league, even for the Nets, I mean, you killed it. You led the league in rebounding. You were second in blocks. And unfortunately, you had to undergo surgery to repair a torn labrum in your left shoulder. But you returned earlier than that four to six month time frame they give you. And you had a promising rookie season, especially coming back from injury. Your second season was the best of your pro career, averaging career highs and points, rebounds, assists, steals and block. You started 53 games. You'd be on the Nets for two more seasons, finishing your rookie contract before playing overseas in the CBA China League, Euro League, and NBA, NBL Australia, Illawarra. I say that right? Yeah, Illawarra. And then most recently in Uruguay. But I want to ask do you know your career high in the NBA? Uh, 26 against the Indiana no. Pacers. It, it's 22 against the Pacers. I thought, no. No, I had twenty. I had twenty-two against the them. internet. Is lying. I believe the, you. The internet is the internet lying. Is, so, so I always, <laughs> I had a little bit of vendetta against Indiana <laughs> because my and and I, I probably shouldn't have, but I tended to when I was younger take things a little bit too personally that were said when they were really just business. I had, I had trouble separating business from personal. Mm -hmm. So I had um, my very first draft workout was in Indiana. Uh, I worked out for the Pacers and I remember Larry Bird and Rick Carlisle were both there watching. And at the end of the workout, they, you know, they brought me into the workout or into the office. And I remember Rick Carlisle um, basically in more or less words told me to my face, that I wasted their time. So I was, uh, I was not really happy about that. And I decided that every time I played in the end, I was going to make sure I gave it to them. So I actually, I think I reset my career high at least two or three times against Indiana because I had, I had 22 against them. I had 20 against them. And then I think I had 22 and then 26 was my career high. I don't know why it says 22. Because I know for a fact that I had 26 against Indiana one game as well, and that was my. You know, I, I'm I'm looking at it right now, and uh, it says if if we're talking about the same one, March 28, 2007, said career high 22. I can't find the 26. I believe you. I know, I know I you wouldn't lie about your I career high. There was a 26 in there. Did it happen after after the 22? It would have been after, yeah. Okay. Well, I think in the game right before that, uh, you had your your previous uh, career high before you dropped the twenty two, the twenty one against the Bobcats, and uh, I'm of course Michael Jordan's watching up that there. Was, that was and you that was that was my rookie year. You didn't miss a shot. Yeah, 10%. so so I was. Uh, some somebody told me this afterward. Apparently, I was the first rookie since Dennis Rodman to go ten for ten in a game in the NBA. I didn't even know that that was a stat that people kept, but somebody told me after the game. I mean, you know, nerds keep nerds keep track of everything. Yeah. There's but, there's but, people that do that, but yeah, I know it's, coach. It's pretty it's pretty easy when you got Jason Kidd and Miss Carter throwing you the ball. Yeah, that's true. Well, Josh, I know that James wants to ask about some of your international playing career. Yeah, but, hey, that's funny. You you technically dropped uh, twenty and then another twenty on Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. That's factual. That actually happened. Um, but, yeah, uh, pl- playing professional basketball internationally overseas, um, basketball is taking you to many places, including China, the Philippines, Bahrain, Estonia, Russia, Turkey, Hong Kong, Australia, Saudi Arabia, and most recently, Uruguay, um, coming off a season where you averaged 17-9. and nine. So, of course, you can still play at, at a high level. Um, did I miss any in, in, any destinations here? And what's I don't, next? I don't, I don't think so. I wasn't in Saudi. I was in um, UAE. I was in Dubai in UAE. Dubai, okay. Um, yeah, I've, 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 gotten, I've gotten some offers from Saudi here or there, but I've never actually taken one now. So that, that puts you at every continent except Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so I actually hadn't been to South America yeah. until this past season. You know, I just kind of randomly ended up in Uruguay. I was – Kind of sitting at home waiting for something to happen, and um, I uh, I got I got an offer to play with the USA team in Puerto Rico for their last um, qualifying window for the Olympics. We yeah, we had already yeah I mean we you know we had we had already made it anyway, but um, 
uh, I guess my agent knew the guy that was putting the team together and, you know, they talked about it and they decided that they wanted me to play. Um, but while I was getting ready for that, I also got the contract offer from Uruguay. So I actually signed in Uruguay right before I went out to, um, to Puerto Rico with, with Team USA. Um, what was that I was, like? I know it was a short stint or whatever, but you put on, you know, the USA jersey. You're playing with, you know, Joe Johnson, Isaiah Thomas. And, you know, what was that experience like internationally, was, USA basketball? Yeah, it was it was cool, man. It was it was really cool. Um, I was pretty disappointed because the second game I had to sit out, I, um, I injured my ankle in the first game about halfway through, played the rest of the game, and then yeah. we got to the next game, which was against Mexico. And a guy named Gustavo Ione, who was a very, very big time. Um, yeah, we remember uh, him in the NBA. Overseas player. Yeah, he played in the NBA, played a bunch of years in EuroLeague, played for Real Madrid, you know, played for a lot of teams. And he was supposed to be playing for the Mexican national team, but he ended up not being there. We don't, I still don't know if we have figured out why he didn't play because up until the start of the game, we, th- we thought he was going to play. Um, so, I really wanted to play. I'm, I'm a guy that's all about matchups. So when I see a matchup like that, you know, I was I was ready for it. Yeah. But it was kind of a, a collective decision between myself, the coaching staff, and the training staff that it wasn't necessarily worth me going out there because, A, Ione wasn't playing. And, B, uh, and more importantly, I had already signed the deal in Uruguay, and they didn't want me to further injure my ankle and risk setting me back for the start of that mm. season because I had to go directly from Puerto Rico straight to Uruguay and start that season there. So we just thought it was probably the best decision to just sit me out of that Mexico game and just get me ready for Uruguay instead. All right. Well, so we all know that there's there's good and, and, and not so good playing professional ball um, internationally. Some notables uh, as far as kind of the negative was in, in China – you're playing really good ball and you get cut for a big, a bigger name in Eddie Curry. And then in the Philippines, you, you know, you're, you're going through an injury you're playing through and, and, and you get cut not, not too long later, but the biggest one that stands out to me was the this Pinar Carseca incident. <laughs> Carseca. And, <laughs> and speaking of shaky Shaka, um, this GM cuts you, uh, you know, I think you were battling through an injury at that time. You took that to FIBA court. You won. Um, you had a guaranteed contract that I, I don't know if you you got paid maybe a quarter of that settlement or half of what they owed you. Um, but tell me some of the shady things that, that, that happens to, to players overseas. I mean, you, you said it right there. Um, you know, playing overseas is extremely cutthroat. When you play in the NBA back home, I've, I've always said that you don't have much in the way of locational stability, but you have a ton of contractual stability. You know, your, your contracts, once they get to a certain point, they are always guaranteed. So you're going to get that money regardless. Yeah. But when you play overseas, you can have a fully guaranteed contract and you might still not get that money. You know, case in point, my, uh, my situation in Turkey, where I had a fully guaranteed contract. My contract was supposed to be guaranteed for the entire season. And what they told, what the GM told me was that, you know, they were going to be replacing me and I could, I had two options. I could either work out a buyout agreement with them, which was going to be far less beneficial for me, Mm. or I could hang around, practice with teams, still get paid, but not be able to play any games. And for a guy in that situation who is in his early thirties and is right in the prime of his career, that's not an option for me, you know, like I, I need to I need to be playing somewhere. So for me to sit out an entire season would have really set me back, would have made it a lot, a lot more challenging to find another another deal because teams wouldn't have seen me play. You know, they, I would have been sitting out for a full year, essentially. So nobody would have seen me. And in this business, out of sight, out of mind is, is a very real thing. You know, if teams don't see you, they, a lot of times they just forget about you. And um, I mean, I'm sure that there's players that maybe not go to FIBA court. Like you had to like really stand up and like, you know, fight the bully that's trying to steal your, your lunch money. Like tell yeah, me about that process and you standing up for yourself in that situation. Yeah. I mean, going, going to FIBA sucks, man, because it's a, it's a very expensive undertaking initially, you know, generally you don't want to go the FIBA route. And for, for those that don't understand what that is, 
FIBA is the governing body that basically oversees and, um, you know, kind of moderates all of international basketball. So, you know, any anytime there is a disagreement between a player and a team, FIBA will assign an arbitrator to the case and then they will determine, you know, whether the team should be paying, whether this player is right, whatever, whatever. Um, so when you do this process, they require a substantial amount of money up front. Um, so you really only want to do it if you know you have a very solid case and you know there's a very high likelihood that you win. Because if you win, usually what they'll do is included in the settlement will be the charges that you paid up front as well. So the team will actually reimburse you for that in addition to paying you whatever FIBA decides they owe you, you know, based on the contract or whatever. Um, so I so I knew I had a great case. Like I, I had, you know, it didn't, it didn't even matter that I had the fully guaranteed contract initially because I ended up taking the buyout agreement. The only reason I took the buyout was because I needed to get home to see my doctor and my doctor was only going to be home, only be in the area for a very limited amount of time. So I just needed to make sure that nothing serious was going on with my shoulder, which in reality it wasn't. And all I needed was a week and a half off, but the team just wasn't willing to give me a week and a half off. They just decided to cut me anyway, even though I played with the damn thing for a month and a half. Um, so, you know, I needed to get home. I took the buyout and um, all they had to do was pay me the month that I was owed already. You know, so the month that I was there at that time, plus an additional month extra. And they were only willing to pay me half of that. So I was messaging the GM. You know, I gave them ample opportunity. And at the end of the day, it was like a... A a year process. No, it was like a three-year process, bro. Because it was like, I, I waited about a year to actually file with FIBA. And then it took about another year or so, maybe a little bit less for the case to actually get settled. And then after that, the problem was even when FIBA ruled in my favor, the team still didn't pay me everything that I was owed. They still only paid me half of what I was owed. So we kept having to go back to FIBA. You know, FIBA initially told us, you know, just just wait, just give them time, be patient, whatever. Um, It got to the point where it was like, you know, this is ridiculous. So. You know, finally, FIBA was willing to do something about it. So FIBA um, decided that what they were going to do was they were going to not only make them pay me more, but also find them as well. And FIBA was going to require money from them. So you know, it's interesting. <laughs> no, it's, 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 keep, yeah, going. Yeah. No, keep, keep going. I mean, keep going. Like this yeah, is it, it, ah, this is just, stuff that people just don't know. Like, yeah, what's it, going it, on. Yeah, and, you, you would you would you would never know this if you it, didn't actually you know where you part of this world. You know what's crazy is everybody thinks that like sports are just entertainment, but they don't realize sports are a business. And we've seen this with lockouts. We've seen this, you know, in baseball. There's arbitration where. Players will go in front of a judge and argue their worth in front of a team owner. Like people yeah. don't realize the business side of sports. I think overseas, especially, it gets swept under the rug. Yeah, you know, sports sports have always been a business, and at the end of the day, the players are the commodity of that business. You know, we are, we are the commodity that, that gets that gets traded around, that gets valued, that gets passed from from person to person, from team to team. Um, but but getting back to the turkey story, you know, once once FIBA decided that they were going to also find the team and then the team didn't pay then Mm. then FIBA got pissed so they what they did and what finally ended up actually getting me all my money was that FIBA said okay here's here's what's going to happen either you are going to pay this old money to us and to Josh or we're not going to allow you to register your import players so you're not going to be able to have any import players until you make this payment. And that, as soon as FIBA did that, immediately the team came back and said, okay, what's, what's, your, uh, what's your account? But it was so yeah. crazy because even at this point, the team was still trying not to pay me all of the money that they owed. They were still trying to shortchange me by, I don't know, I want to say it was like, 10 to 15 percent or so like it was just ridiculous we went back and forth with them three times my agent went back and forth with them three times oh you know we 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 want to pay you you know we're going to pay you but we only have this amount of money 
and we're and we're like, no, like you're going to pay the entire amount. Like we're tired of this. It's it's been four years now. So then they would come back and say, oh, you know, our our uh, our owner decided to give us a little bit more money. We're going to pay you this instead of this. And we're like, no, you're going to pay me the full amount. And then they came back a third time, and they were like, oh, oh we're going to we're they they were basically offering to pay me like 95 percent of what I was owed. So my agent was like, look. If you're going to pay this much, you're going to be able to get the rest of the money. Get the rest of the money, pay us all the money, then we will go to FIBA and tell them that you have paid us and you will be able to get your import plate. So they finally. Oh, man. Like, I man, love it. It, it, was, it. it was a crazy process. It's, crazy it's, process. A happy, it's a happy ending. We are yeah. chopping it up with Josh Boone, basketball player, maybe potential lawyer in the future. <laughs> Josh. We like to get our guests out of here with a little triple play rapid fire. Some this or that questions. You probably haven't been asked some of these before. You game? Sure, sure, sure. All right. Would you rather have 30 rebounds or 20 blocks in a game? 20 blocks, I think. It's a yeah, block party, right? Because I don't, I, don't I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody getting 20 blocks in a game. I've heard All of people right. getting 30 rebounds. I don't think I've ever heard anybody getting 20 blocks. Okay. I like it. How many times have you done the, the 20 rebounds thing? Because I know that that's something that's not a stranger to you. I've I've done I've done 20 rebounds in almost every league that I've played in. There's All only right. there's only been one or two leagues that I haven't done it in. But I've 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 had 20 at least probably five or six times, I think. Okay. Would you rather fulfill your biggest wish or resolve your biggest regret? It's funny because resolving my biggest regret would actually fulfill my biggest wish. Oh, wow. We got two yeah. in one here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Which one of these weapons would you rather use for self-defense? A sword or nunchucks? <laughs> um, I would know. I would have no idea what to do with the nunchucks. So I would say hey, you, this is assuming you know how to use them. <laughs> I, I don't know how to use nunchucks, bro. I'd end up hitting myself in the face with them more than I hit somebody else. Okay. Probably the sword. Probably the sword. Okay. I have I have a I have a thing with uh, with knives. I used to kind of collect knives anyway, so probably the sword. Okay, that's pretty cool. So, big men love their guards. I mean, who is your favorite to play with? We got Marshall Strickland. We got Tyleek Brown. We got Marcus Williams, Spencer Ware, Aaron Brooks, Lamella Ball, Jason Kidd. Who's number one I mean, on that list? Jason Kidd probably is is the best, you know, hands down would be the best card that I've ever played with. Um, I mean, that's that's the La, right Lamello, answer. Lamelo is going to be damn good. Lamelo is going to be very good, and I've I've been telling, I had numerous conversations with people um, before he was getting drafted, and I was telling anybody that would listen to me that that kid's ceiling is as high as he wants it to be. He could be a perennial all star if he wants to be. It's just he needs to be in the right situation, surrounded by the right people, and get himself motivated, and he will be that way. Yeah, you I, said that I this kid was. You said this kid is going to be very, very good for a long time. This was, I feel like, mm-hmm. before he even played his his first NBA game. Listen, like this is what, too much. This is too much Labelo Ball talk on this. No, podcast. no, no, no. We got to get it. At what moment uh, did you say like this kid's going to be really damn good? At what moment did you? You're watching um, it in practice, you're like, or watching it in the game, you're like, this is spectacular. Well, I know, I know. So there was a practice early on in the season. I, I wasn't sure how good he was. You know, obviously I've heard all the hype. You know, you see the the videos of him scoring what eighty or something in that high school game where he just came down and shot it every damn time he touched it. Um, so you know, we knew he was good. We didn't know how good. And I remember there was a practice early on in the year where he made he made a couple of, of passes that were just incredible. And I remember I walked over to our head coach at the end of the practice and I looked at him. I said, "This this kid." If he if he wants to, he's going to lead the league in assists this year. And I think when he and this is a very good league. You know, the NBL is a very very good league. We are one of the probably three or four best leagues in the entire world. And this kid is 17, 18 years old. And I was like, he's he's going to lead the league in assists. And I think when he when he got injured, I think he was actually leading the league in assists. If he wasn't, he was second at that point. But that was that was really the point where I saw how good he could potentially be. And then just kind of being around him every day and seeing it every day firsthand. You know, I've I have never played with anyone that has more potential and a higher ceiling than that. Wow. Yeah, that's that makes sense. And you play with Rudy I got, Gay, right? Yeah, like, yeah I, 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 got, I played with Rudy and I, I played with Rudy in high school. You know, I played with Rudy for, for several years in AAU basketball. So I saw I saw a young Rudy. 
And yeah. Rudy has crazy potential, but this kid's got even more. So, Josh, I got some. I got a few more questions, but they're not sports related. But I want to hear okay. your answer. So let's go. Okay. Would you rather never get a paper cut again, or never get anything stuck in your teeth again? Never get a paper cut again. I can. I can use. Thank you. Thank you. Those hurt. Was in my teeth. Yeah. Those hurt. What's your favorite cereal? Favorite cereal? I don't know. I don't eat a lot of cereal. Um, so you don't I'm drink alcohol. Cat- you don't eat cereal. No, I don't eat a lot of cereal. Like I, had, I just had Captain Crunch. All uh, right, that's a couple good days answer. ago. Good answer. Oh, that's a good good answer. <laughs> Would you rather wake up in your bed with a porcupine or a skunk? A skunk. I could. I could wash that off. You know, I could get in. The, I can get in the shower and and, and take it care of that. Might take a while, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I, I can. I could deal with that. You know, I've smelled a skunk before. I'm not trying to get stabbed a hundred times. When I'm in bed, right? <laughs> That's certainly true. Yeah. A bell rings every time you're horny. Or never be horny again. <laughs> Bell rings every time I'm horny. Ding, okay, ding, ding, right? That's, that's an undefeated question on, here on Triple Play. That's undefeated. I, 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 would be, I would be shocked if somebody picked the other one on that one. <laughs> that's true. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> would you rather fight like or fight Mike Tyson once or talk like him the rest of your life? Fight Mike Tyson once. You think you could take although, him? Although Mike, Mike is pretty endearing when I, when he talks, though, man. Like he, you know, I've I've heard him speak on, you know, some of these talk shows and whatever, and he he's actually pretty interesting when you listen to him. So I think yeah, he's, he's intelligent. Got, he's, yeah, 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 he's got he's gotten better over the years. You know, he's gotten a lot better over the years. You look at some of his early interviews, and he's like, man, I just want to eat your kids. But you know, you, you, look, at, <laughs> you look at some of the stuff that he's done recently, and you know, I, I would I would say, even 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 despite that, I would rather fight him okay the last one would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck um one horse-sized duck (laughs) you think you could take it um i think so yeah unless the thing could fly still i mean can it still fly when it's horse-sized i mean they're is it's it, like a, a, I mean, it's like, it's like all, a giant, it's, it's, it's a giant duck. It's a giant duck that's the size of a horse. So or a hundred. So if it, if it could fly, then it's going to be the uh, the duck size horses. I feel it takes like a, a while to get takeoff, especially for a duck. But yeah, maybe maybe it can like quack around or whatever. Yeah, but I, 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 the the duck size horses for me then. The duck size horses, hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're, you're six. Yeah, you're six eleven. They ain't reaching you. Well, Josh, we really appreciate. I got, I got, I got to squeeze in. Uh, I I have to squeeze in one. All right, so because I'm very curious on this, and I I know Doc can relate. Uh, So you have a portrait on your father on your right shoulder. Uh, This is your your tattoo game that I'm talking about as you as you're showcasing it, and um, it has a globe underneath. This hand represent him giving the world in your hands like that's just that's really dope obviously you thought well about that you said you wanted to put some on the left arm but you hadn't figured it out yet this was a dated quote have you have you put anything on the left arm or do you have an idea what you want to do there nah nothing nothing here yet the odds are it'll be something to do with my mother um but i don't know exactly what it's gonna be yet i gotta i gotta figure it out yeah but i gotta, I gotta get something man i feel i feel unbalanced like it's it's, it's weird it's to have re- something here and nothing here I'm with that. One, one, one last one any mm-hmm. any crazy jr smith in china stories with the fans like because you, know, you got the celebrity it's the nba lockout mm-hmm. you're playing with jr and you know the type of aura he has and the type of fans he has anything crazy stand out um I mean the crazy the craziest JR related story for me would be and this is not this is not a, a fan thing. This is the exact opposite. We had a road game and his people used to come with us on the road. It would be his um uh his girlfriend, his cousin, I think his sister used to come as well. And his uh his co- his girl and his sister ended up getting into a fight in the stand. Oh my. So we with had each to, other we, or with, with the so, with the so they, they got it with with some of the Chinese people. Oh, so man. um we had to kind of get the like we basically had to stop the game and we had to kind of wow. you know, jump in and, and grab them out. 
um, I believe it was his girl actually hit one of our players uh, on accident, like not on purpose. It's just, you know, uh-huh. she she's in a, she's in a sea of Chinese people. She just sees everybody converging on her. So she's just swinging. I think she she accidentally tagged one of our players. So, you know, they weren't happy. Um, what we ended up having to do after the game was we had to get uh, Jr. and his people out the back door because they were waiting outside. Um, so we sent them out the back door into like a minivan or whatever. And they, and they, you know, dipped out. But when we walked out to the bus, there was a couple of women that were standing on the bus. I guess these were the ones that initially got into the altercation with JR's people. They were on our bus and they refused to get off the bus. Our bus was sitting there for like 30 minutes. He was trying to get these women off the bus and he wouldn't leave. And our bus got surrounded by about, I would say, 100, 150 of their fans and wouldn't let us go either. So we were just stuck for probably close to close to an hour before we finally got those women off the bus and were able to actually get out of that parking lot. But it was it was looking a little dicey. And were, it wasn't like there was, you know, in the NBA, you had the, the police protecting the, van, the, the bus or whatever. Nah, it was you. Yeah. It, it, was, it was just us. <laughs> it was just us against a lot of them. And and it actually got to the point where I was like I was like man look if somebody does not get these women off of this bus I will remove them from the bus and we will get the hell out of here because I'm just tired of, I'm I'm tired of it so yeah yeah like we we got surrounded they were throwing stuff at the bus and everything like yeah was, I knew there had to be a, a, good, like a story we would never what tell. a what what a story to end it well Josh I want to appreciate you coming on. Um, for the people that are listening, you can follow him on the socials, Twitter. We got at the underscore real underscore Jay Busy. Hasn't been on as active. And on Instagram, we got at the real Jay Biz. Josh, before we get you out of here, is there anything you want to plug to our audience? You know, anything that you want to just say that you're working on or where they can see your highlights, all that good stuff? No, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm, I just signed a deal in Venezuela. So I'm going to be going out there sometime within the next couple of weeks once they um, decide exactly when the season's going to start and once the league allows the teams to start getting um, visas for their imports. So I'm hoping within the next week or two I'm going to be heading out there. After that, I don't know. You know, we'll we'll 